0: Um, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's really good to be with you. It's a joy uh, to worship with you. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my joy to be able to walk through this part of scripture with you this morning. Um, this is a quick story uh, before we jump in. I was up super late last night just celebrating a friend, dear friend's birthday. So this morning came a little earlier than usual. And uh, so I was at McDonald's, you know, early morning McDonald's, and I get my crispy chicken biscuit and coffee and tea because I needed extra caffeination. And as I was leaving and pulling out on the Stratford Road, uh, the sun was kind of just barely up and it was very bright in my eyes. And I was a little, you know, I hadn't had my coffee yet. And I started thinking like, God made that sun. It's, like, shining in my eyes. And then I had this thought. I was like, I'm going to go to church and speak for that God this morning. And I started laughing, like, uncontrollably and maniacally and probably sounded like a crazy person. Um, I was like, ah, in the car. And I don't know why. It was just the absurdity of it was definitely <laughs> upon me. Like, he doesn't need me to go speak for him. Yet, here we are. And... Um, so I was vibing pretty hard with that whole, you know, Lord, it's not, you, it's not me, it's you inside of me part this morning, so I'm glad we sang that. Um, but when, when we come to reading the Scripture and, you know, you might not be familiar with, with the Scripture, this might be new stories to you, this, these might be very familiar stories. But especially if the stories of Scripture are familiar to us, it's easy... To um, forget that these are real people in real time experiencing real, like, trauma and experiencing uh, real joy. And so, like, when we read this passage, especially the first few uh, verses there at the beginning of Acts 8, and we're hearing about what's going on to fill up into this church, these are actual people that were living through a really, really really difficult time. They had had this beautiful community in in Jerusalem, if you read the first few chapters of Acts, where all these people had come into Jerusalem and they had heard about Jesus and they had experienced new life. And they had come from all these different towns and then they just sort of take up residence in Jerusalem and they had this beautiful life where everyone's selling their stuff and sharing with each other and they're experiencing joy. And they're like this religious minority, and they have this beautiful community together. And then suddenly there's this persecution on them, where one of their uh, most promising young leaders is murdered uh, unjustly, and people are being kidnapped, dragged out of their homes on false charges, thrown in prison, and being oppressed. And this isn't just like an interesting Bible story. This is really things that happened to our sisters and brothers. And um, when we sort of walk through times um, of discomfort and persecution, you know, you got to think, these folks, they have to be asking, like, why God? You know, this beautiful thing was just starting. We just had this cool, amazing Jesus movement and now it's all being ripped away. And to ask the question, why God, is actually an extremely godly and beautiful question. That's just quoting the Bible <laughs> back to God when you say, why God? And, but it's a really uncomfortable question, too. And so sometimes we sidestep that question, whether we're religious or, or not, by saying, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, we hear that a lot. Um, That's like one of the worst things you can say to somebody that's really struggling. Um, Some of you guys have felt that. And we want to sort of sidestep the pain, sidestep the the struggle, and say, you know, well, it's all going to work out. God has a plan. Um, Everything happens for a reason. And kind of I think what that that can do, uh, it it reminds me of a story. Um, And when I was in college and first came to faith, There was this beautiful family. A friend of mine, I played in this band with a guy, and his his family lived in the town, my college town. And they had this beautiful home. It was like this historic home, and it was beautiful. And this was a place that I had experienced, like sitting at a table with like a family for the first time. They love each other, and and, and, they could really cook. Mom and dad could really cook. And I did my laundry at this house. You know, I really was welcomed into this house. It was a beautiful thing. And one night uh, after I was out of college, um, their chimney caught fire during the middle of the night, and the house just went up, like, super fast in flames, and the whole thing uh, burned down. Uh, Their youngest son um, went back into the house several times to save the taxidermy, um, because he had worked really hard to hunt these animals and mount them. But otherwise, there was no going back into the house. And the dad, they're standing outside, it was in South Georgia, but it does get cold there relatively speaking. And they were outside in the cold and he had no pants on because he had to leave the house very quickly. He didn't have time to grab his pants from upstairs. And he's standing in, the, in his front lawn watching his beautiful hundreds of year old home that he raised their family in burning down. Some of you guys have experienced this. No pants. I think I mentioned that. And as he's standing there, part of the roof collapses And the window of their bedroom was open, and his pants had been laying across a chair near the window. And when the the roof collapsed, it made a gust of wind, and his pants blew out of the window (laughs) as he was watching. And they descended upon him. (laughs) And he was able to put his pants on. And when, you, when, when, when you're like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. You could say, well, you got your pants. You know, I mean, your house burned down, but at least, you know, your pa- a good thing came from it. And of course, the natural response to that would be, well, I could have gotten my pants very easily without my house burning down first. Um, this story is not a uh, everything happens for a reason story this isn't a everything happens for a reason community okay this is the story of one person who suffered greatly and yet it's also the story of a person that experienced the magic of God and experienced God showing up in a way that he couldn't imagine and so this is a story in two acts from Acts 8, skipping one act, okay? Two, two acts here. And the, the first act of this Philip story, Philip is one of the original deacons with Stephen who had just been killed. Act 1, Philip goes to Samaria, okay? So if you, if you look in the, uh, in the passage there, starting in verse 4, Now those who were scattered, they couldn't stay in Jerusalem because they were being persecuted. Only the apostles stayed there and everyone else has to leave the city and flee for their lives. And they go about preaching. And it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now at the beginning of Acts, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then a little further out in Judea, a little further out than that in Samaria and then to the ends of the world. But when they had this beautiful community in Jerusalem, they didn't exactly start going out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think that they probably thought, it's so beautiful here that Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth will come here. Because it's a beautiful city after all, and we have this great thing going for us. But now, because of the persecution... Philip finds himself in Samaria and he's telling people about Jesus. Now here's the the problem for Philip. Samaritans were the bad guys. Not just like they didn't like each other, they couldn't get along, but they genuinely really hated each other. Um, You may be familiar with a story that Jesus tells about someone that is beaten and left along the side of the road. And religious leaders come along, Jewish religious leaders, and they all pass him by. And then this person who's called the Good Samaritan stops and helps this person. And the reason why people hated Jesus telling that story, it made them very angry, was because you weren't allowed to make a Samaritan the good guy in the story. Actually, when, uh, when Jewish folks, when they would travel, if they had to travel through an area with Samaritans in it, they would go miles out of the way so that they wouldn't even have to get the dust on their feet of a Samaritan town. They really couldn't stand one another. And yet, Philip is there and is forced to be there. And he starts telling them about Jesus. And what, what, what happens is that he's telling them about Jesus. You see the passage. They heard him. They saw the signs that he did. These miracles that were like the miracles that Jesus did. In word and deed, Jesus is coming to them. And these unclean spirits coming out and crying out. And what happens to them in verse 8, look. So there was much joy in that city. In Philip's story of suffering, one of the results of his suffering is that he brings the joy of God to his enemies. He gets to show up among people that he genuinely does not like and who do not like him. And the result is joy. As they begin to experience the joy of God. And y'all, taking the joy of God to your enemies generally does not happen when you are in a good and comfortable place in life. If everything's going great, all the home fires are burning and you have everything that you need and want, what generally gets missed is an opportunity to bring joy to our enemies. Yet Philip experiences that in, even with all of the hard going on. A result is that the joy of God comes to his enemies. But then the second act, we're skipping over this really wild and crazy story that you can read later about this magician who was like, oh, I practice magic, but these guys can do magic, all kinds of crazy other magic, and he tries to give money to get the magic. Read that one later. But the second act is Philip ends up meeting a man in a chariot. So if you look down verse 26, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Go on this random road in the middle of the desert. No further explanation. Just go there. And Philip, he hasn't had anywhere better to be. He's already with his enemies anyway. He goes off on some random dirt. If you've ever found yourself walking down a random dirt road and you know what that feels like, if you're from Georgia, that is part of your story. Um... (laughs) Or apparently if you're from Israel. And he's walking down this dirt road and he sees this person. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Here's uh, some more about who this person is. This person is a very important and wealthy dignitary From this vast kingdom in Africa, the Nubian kingdom. Um, It was a highly advanced society and civilization in Africa. It was like ancient Wakanda. It was ahead of everybody, this beautiful ancient people. And he was wealthy. You know he was wealthy because he was riding in a chariot. Also because he owns a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which would have been incredibly expensive. No one owned scrolls, but he had bought one while he was in Jerusalem. He had had some interest in knowing the God of the Bible, and so he had bought this, and it says that he's a eunuch. And basically what that meant is that as a young man, he was castrated so that he could be a trusted official. Um, You would think he's not going to be up to any, you know, goings on. And you can trust him. Often eunuchs were in charge of a harem um, because uh, they they apparently couldn't get to any trouble. Um, They had taken so much away from this man to put him in this position and subdued him. And so this guy is from real, real far away, and yet Philip finds him. Philip had gone from Jerusalem to Samaria. And now he is meeting someone literally from the ends of the earth. And this guy's reading in his chariot. You can imagine this guy going along in a chariot. And Philip is just standing there on the side of the road. And so the Holy Spirit says to Philip, as the Holy Spirit does, go over and join this chariot with this random guy in it. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. It's like Philip is like, hey, What's you reading in there? You know, (laughs) random guy talking to random guy. What do you, what do you, what are you reading in there? And he says, do you understand what you are reading? He goes to this man. Now I um, know nothing about soccer. This is well documented, but I am a soccer coach. (laughs) And that's what it feels like being a pastor I don't think I get this any better than anybody else, yet here we are. But when we talk about defending on my team the Swans, who had a great two to nothing victory yesterday, thank you, Um, we can talk more about that, but I don't have time. Um, What we say to our Swans is when you're defending, I want you to be close enough that they can smell your breath. If you're defending someone, I don't want you to give them space. I want you to be right on. My wife said, put your heel between their feet so you know what. I want you to be close enough so that they can smell your breath. Philip gets close enough to this guy so that he can literally smell his breath. I know this sounds really weird in COVID time, to get close enough to someone so they can smell your breath. I heard someone say one time that Christians should get close enough to people To tell them why they need Jesus. Not why the person they're talking to needs Jesus, but can you get close enough to tell someone why you need Jesus? Philip gets really close to this guy, and when he comes close, what he finds is that this guy is reading Isaiah. He's reading the most um, respected and influential prophet of the Hebrew scriptures. What he finds when he moves close to this person is that God is already at work in this person's life. Philip isn't showing up to tell him about something that he doesn't already know. He's simply walking in and God had been at work. In our assurance, we said together that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared Before that, we should walk in them. These are Philip's good works that God had already prepared for him because God is real. God is doing things in people's lives, whether we know that it's happening or not. God is at work right now. Maybe, and that might be why you are here this morning. Like, you might be here. Because God is in some way at work in your life and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to show up for this. Because I'm not sure I understand what's going on. Maybe someone you know has questions. And they don't have anyone to ask. Let's go. So Philip comes to this man and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says to him, how can I understand unless someone guides me and he invites Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot and what's he reading Isaiah 53 I mean God could not have set Philip up better than he's reading this Philip knew Jesus like before Jesus died and was raised and all that imagine what's going through Philip's mind when he hears this man read this passage. It's kind of like, one of the cool things about coming to Redeemer was that you met me and my family, but also met my wife, Sarah Jane. And so people will tell me, oh man, she's so cool. And I'm like, you don't even know. (laughs) Let me tell you some more. how cool. Oh, she's like really talented. I didn't know. I'm like, you don't even know the half of it. I got lots of story I can tell you about how amazing this person is. Imagine Philip hearing these words. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch saying, who is he talking about? And if you're Philip you're thinking about Jesus being arrested in Gethsemane as He prayed and sweat blood. He's thinking about the false charges laid on Jesus, the justice denied to Him, and how He didn't open up His mouth to defend Himself. He's thinking about the proclamation of John the Baptist, who when Jesus was baptized, He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Philip is thinking about that lamb being beaten, about that lamb being nailed on the cross. Philip's like, oh, I got some stories I can tell you about who this person is. You don't even know the half of this suffering servant that clearly has gotten your attention." and so he starts to tell him about Jesus from the scripture and here's what the suffering of what he was telling this eunuch about the suffering of God in Jesus this is what the suffering of God in Jesus shows us and it's that God does not stand far off from our suffering but that Jesus God in the flesh the son of God is in this broken, suffering story with us. And in fact, Jesus has borne it all with us. And how much more the impact was upon him because he didn't have sin. There was nothing broken in him. And yet he was betrayed and he was lonely and he was beaten and he was denied justice and he was dragged off, not to prison, but to the tomb and locked up. So we can rage and we can ask why God, but we can't pretend that he doesn't know. There are a lot of people who have tried to answer intellectually and theologically why God allows suffering and there are some really great thoughts about it but nothing that is ultimately all that satisfying but when it comes to Jesus it's never everything just happens for a reason and it's all going to work out when it comes to this Jesus it's it isn't supposed to be like this And yet, they thought that they were burying Jesus. And they were planting Jesus. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it grows up and bears much fruit. The resurrection is real. And so, you know, my house is burning down. Yay, I got my pants back. The answer isn't everything just happens for a reason. It's all going to work out. It's my house and everything that I have is burning down. And yet, it's all going to burn. <laughs> my house is just the first thing that's going to go. And Jesus, who has been born, uh, burned up, Will bear, will bear me through it all. That he will carry me through it to the other side. That's what Philip got to tell this man. And what happens is that this guy says, see, there's some water along the road. Why shouldn't I be baptized? I don't know if Philip had a category that someone that wasn't Jewish was going to be baptized and become part of the Jesus movement. It's, it's worth saying that this brown Semitic guy leads this black African guy to faith. That's, the, that's the, like the, the genesis of a, the first person that wasn't Jewish coming to faith. And that's why we're here. This is our heritage from these brothers. But when he says, why shouldn't I be baptized, and then Philip baptizes him, what he's showing in that baptism is that this man, who I never would have met and was a stranger to me from the ends of the earth, is now my brother. He is marked as one of God's people. A result of Philip's suffering is that a stranger becomes his kin. And that's our heritage. Because as like as hard as it feels to say this in our community, discomfort and persecution drove the kingdom. Because God is involved and can and does work. Many times during a week, my children tell me that I am walking on lava. Or walking down the sidewalk. Daddy, you're walking on lava right now because you're not just walking on the cracks or on the tiles. You're in lava. I don't know if you understand this, but... And my response is always the same. Well, dads can walk on lava. (laughs) Doesn't touch me. There are some things that God can do. Some places that he can walk that would consume all of us. And so I just um, want to end with a couple of questions for us as we as we continue to meditate on this story of this man Philip and everything that he's been through and yet what God is doing. Um, and if one of these just resonates with you, you might want to write it down and pray through it later. Is Is comfort... Uh, and non-negotiable for you? We tend to think that if we're uncomfortable that something's wrong, that we're not doing something right. We've been sort of trained to think that. But is comfort non-negotiable? Because if comfort is non-negotiable for you, if that's what must be, what joy are you going to miss What joy might others miss? Your enemies even. Um, Are you willing to jump in, get close enough to somebody so they can smell your breath, so that you can find out, not just so that you can just be a blessing to them, but so that you can find out actually how much stuff God has already been doing in people outside your tribe? Are you willing to invite someone into your space because you have questions? And lastly, are you willing to be surprised at how much God has for you outside of our places of comfort? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, you made the sun and it wasn't hard for you. And you're holding it all together and yet you have experienced so much pain. And so you, you tell us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice because you weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice. And when we weep with those who weep, we're weeping with you. And when we rejoice with those who rejoice, we're rejoicing with you. And so, Lord Jesus, um, we can't explain anything away and we don't want to. But we do want to know that you're with us. And that you're doing things that only you can do. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw near to us the one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter, that we might see you, O Lamb of God, high and lifted up, even as we come to this table. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen and amen.